Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Bible immersions in the morning is when we meet with God as we let the Bible become real to us and we put ourselves in the shoes of these Bible believers and re-experience their journeys with God. That's Bible immersion as opposed to by reading the Bible. We put ourselves in the experiences described in the Bible of the believers, and when we do that, it's just like Jacob seeing the angels of God. And for that time, for that time, we are lifted out of the low level of our normal, ordinary lives to a higher level of being absorbed with God. And just as we we see here in verse 3, when Jacob, he sends messengers now to Egypt, so now he's back into the normal, ordinary life again, It's not permanent. It wasn't permanent for Jacob because he returns to being absorbed with all the problems he's got. In the same way, we pursue Bible immersion in the morning like the angels in verse 1 who met Jacob in the morning. God meets us, but like Jacob was raised to that higher level, so we're raised to a higher level being absorbed with God, and then comes verse 3, boom, back into the world, and then he returns to his lower level of being absorbed with problems. That's the way it is with us. It doesn't take us long to have our verse threes in our life return back to the lower level, be absorbed with our problems. What's the answer to that? Recognize that's life. That's what life is. It's an ongoing process of coming to God in the lower level and through Bible immersion be raised to the higher level temporarily because that's the way it works until we're knocked back down to the lower level then come back again the Bible immersion be raised to the higher level but there's a certain transformation that will happen to Jacob that happens to us also and what we're talking about is with this low level and high level is all about what are the greatest interests in a person's life. What are the greatest interests in our life? What were the greatest interests in Jacob's life? You know, Hebrew has a really great way to express this word interest. And it all can be seen. You remember Psalm 87.7, where it says, all my springs are in thee. All my springs are in thee. You know, it's a great word for, in Hebrew for the word spring. The word spring is mayan. And mayan is made up of two words. Mayim, you know what mayim means? Water. And ayan, you know what ayan means? I. That's right. So it's made up of these two words, mayan, spring, I, and water. It's the eye of the water. That's where the water comes out. But in Hebrew, that's the word that's used for interest. 
interest. So when you apply that to Psalm 87.7, all my springs are in thee, really is all my interests are in thee. And so now we ask the question, what are Jacob's interests? What are his great interests in life? Well, he said what his interests were and way back in Bethel in Genesis 28, 20 through 21. We study that. Jacob revealed his great interest in life. He vowed a vow. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, where Esau was, then shall the Lord be my God. Okay? So Jacob's interests were that he should receive from God, you be with me and keep me, protection. When I'm away from home, I need travel insurance. <laughs> okay, you, you give me bread to eat, food. You give me raiment to put on, clothing, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, safety from Esau. Then Jacob said, if you do that, Clover, I got everything I need and then you can be my God. So then Jacob said, if God do that for me, then God's worth having. And so then the Lord can be my God. That's it. Those are the greatest interests in Jacob's life. Protection when he was away from home, food and clothing, and safety from Esau. Those were the Mayan, Mayan in, in all the Mayan, all the interests in Jacob's life. If Jacob could get traveler's insurance, for, he gets his food, he gets his clothing, he gets safety from Esau, so he comes back. Joe, Jacob is a happy camper. He's happy. He has the eye of the spring. He's satisfied. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing. There's nothing in what Jacob said about, I want God because of who God is. No. Jacob only wanted God for what God could give him. And there are people today who are just like that. They only want God for what God can give them, and they have no interest really in God himself, or they have no interest in God because of who God is. For many people, when you say to them, you can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can get closer and closer to him, they reply and say, why would I want that? (laughs) I don't want to get closer and closer to God. I just want to get what God gives me. Thank you very much. And if you said, look, The Lord Jesus Christ is the song of Solomon 2.1, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. They would say, keep your rose, keep your lily. I'm I'm not interested. I'm only interested in what God can do from what God can give to me. And when they say that, they're not obeying the first commandment expressed in the Shema in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. There's none of that. Loving the Lord. I I love what God gives. I don't love the Lord. I know right now of two marriages that are on the rocks in two different cities. Right now, for the same reason, the exact same reason, the husband is not able to bring in as much money as he had in the past, and the wife wants divorce. In one case... The husband's in his 40s, he's been married for nearly 20 years, and he has a business, and he's seen a decrease in his orders because of competition in China, and his wife wants a divorce. In the other case, the husband is near 70, he's been married for almost 50 years, and he's retired, and he's not bringing as much money as he did before he retired, wife wants a divorce. In both cases, 
The wife wants a divorce because the husband is not bringing in as much money as he did before, and since there's less money for her to spend, she wants a divorce. She wants out. In both marriages, the wife wants a divorce because the husband is not giving her as much money as he did in the past. Do the wives love the husbands for who he is? I don't think so. Do they love the husband for the money he brings in? Yes. Does a person love God for who he is, or does a person love God for what he gives? See, what Jacob told God in Genesis 28 was that Jacob would make God his God depending on what God did for Jacob. That's a low level in Jacob's life. What a difference between saying, all I'm interested in from God is travel protection, food, clothing, and safety from Esau, versus the high level that says in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, all my interests are, and my points of satisfaction was just to look at the beauty of the Lord and to ask questions and learn more about him. See? Nothing said in that verse about what God would give him physically, Psalm 26, 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where, there, where thine honor dwelleth. His interest is in the house. David's interest is in the house where God lives, where God is honored. Nothing said about what God would give him physically. Luke 10, 39, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Mary's interests were and satisfaction and fulfillment just to hear him speak, just to hear his word. Nothing said about what she would give him, what he would give her. Psalm sixteen five. Psalm sixteen five. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is a portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Inheritance is important. You know, all his inheritance is not houses and lands and businesses and pro- properties and money. All his inheritance is just the Lord. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching over me, I can sing while the billows, while through the billows roll. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Even throughout this life's long journey, he'll lead me all the while. Psalm 119.11, Psalm 119.11, Thy testimonies have I taken as my heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. What rejoiced David's heart was not things, but God and his word. Philippians 3.8, Philippians 3.8, Paul, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said, there's nothing you can give, that you can give me that's compared to the excellence of getting to know more and more and more and more about Jesus, who he is. If you want to know how a man feels, you want to know how a man feels about his wife, watch the way he says her name. You know, men, some men say their wife's name like the old lady. You know, watch the way he says her name. It's telling if he says their name like eh, just any other name, that's sad. But if he says her name with a, with, with, like that, it's magic. 
It's wonder, it's thrill in her name. That's a man in love with his wife. You know, before I met Cheryl, I knew I knew others named Cheryl. And the name of Cheryl was just like any other name. I'd say the name Cheryl. There's nothing, anything special about that name. But that all changed when I fell in love with Cheryl. Then the name Cheryl became different for me. It was just something about the name Cheryl. Something magical, something wonderful, something thrilling in the name of Cheryl. You could just tell, by the way I say the name Cheryl, that you could tell I loved her. I just tell by the way I said the name Cheryl. In that same way, you can tell how a person feels about the Lord by the way he says the name Jesus. You can tell if with that person, there's just something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name. Jesus. You can tell if a person loves Jesus if he says that name like it's earth's sweetest name. Jacob is not quite at this level right now. (laughs) He's not at this high level. At this point in life, he's not going to sing that. He's going to sing protection, (laughs) food, clothing. There's just something about those things, you know. (laughs) Anyway, he's not interested in the Lord for the sake of knowing the Lord himself, but but this is going to change. There's hope. It's all going to change because he's going to come out of this journey. He's going to come out of this tunnel at the end of his life. He's not going to be at this low level anymore in what God can give him and being interested in, but he's going to be interested in God himself. He's going to rise from the low level to the high level, and you can see him at the high level on his deathbed. Took a little while, but anyway, he came, which is in Genesis 49, 18. In Genesis 49, 18, he will say on his deathbed, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Now, since the word of salvation is Yeshua, and since Yeshua means Jesus, really what he's saying on his deathbed in Genesis 49, 18, I have waited for thy Jesus, O Lord. And it's just like, just like he was longing for Jehovah Jesus, just like King David did in Psalm 119, 174. Psalm 119, 174, I have longed for thy salvation. I have longed for thy Jesus, and thy law is my delight. See, when Joseph said those words of only being satisfied with Jehovah Jesus himself, in Genesis 49, 18, I have waited for thy salvation. Think about where Jacob was. I, I, I said Joseph, I meant Jacob, sorry. Think about where Jacob was. He was in Egypt under the care of his son Joseph, who was the ruler of the most powerful country in the world. That meant that when Jacob said that, he would only be satisfied by getting close to Jehovah Jesus, that he had been waiting for Jehovah Jesus. When Jacob said that, Think of what Jacob had from Joseph. He had the best protection and safety he could have. He had the finest food of Egypt in the best land, Goshen, in Egypt, with the best best clothing in Egypt. Yet with all those things, Jacob was now not satisfied 
until he was with the one he waited for, God's salvation. At that point, Jacob had risen from the low level of interest in normal, ordinary life to the high level of interest in God alone. And when we see these two levels here, of the low level and the high level, it's encouraging for us. It's encouraging for us to know we can go from the low level to the high level. If we on the paths of our lives, if we see ourselves stuck in the low level, trapped with concerns over failing health, over cares that are corroding us, over sorrows that are overwhelming us, over because of loss, and if the things of God have just lost their magic, they've lost their thrill, so that we would say, like Jacob, yeah, I'm worried about so many things that I cannot sleep. Oh, by the way, I saw a large group of angels today, but I'm worried about so many things I can't sleep. If the things of God have become a, oh, yeah, well, that was an interesting, that was an interesting sermon. Oh, yeah, but I'm concerned about God has a way to lead us upward, and it, but it takes our work. It takes work. It's not a drift. Our work is to set our hearts on things above and set our hearts away from things below. We have to set our hearts, as it says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. If we, have to, if we have to see that our hearts are set on things that are higher, things that are nobler, these must allure our sight. We don't passively float and fall into that, things that are above. We must set our affection. It's work. Set our affection. I thought you can't control your affection. You can say, well, what if you say, prayer? It's hard to pray. I don't feel like praying. What do I do when I don't feel like praying? Set your affection means you pray when you feel like it. You pray when you don't feel like it. You pray till you feel like it. You just do it. See, Israel's commanded to set their affections on God. When it said in uh, 1 Chronicles 22.19, 1 Chronicles 22.19, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. See, Israel is told, set your heart, set your affection on the Lord God. But if we are going to successfully, if we're going to successfully going to set our affection on things above, then we've got to make a break with things below. Colossians 3.5, Colossians 3.5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. See, to remove the set on sinful interest, we're called to march those interest desires up at dawn to the firing squad. And ready, aim, fire, each one. Matthew 6, 19, Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves, nor thieves break through nor steal. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Sorry, the other way around. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, we're told to see the possibility 
of real treasures in heaven and to lay up those treasures above by serving God for future rewards and realize that what we lay down here below is going to fall apart. Luke 12, 15, Luke 12, 15. He said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We're told to realize life is not made up by how many toys, by how much we have on earth. Psalm 62, 10, Psalm 62, 10. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. It's hard when riches increase, to not set your heart on them. We're told, resist it. Resist it. What helps? A walk through a cemetery is very therapeutic. Okay. 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're told to consciously categorize what part of the world, each part of the world, categorize each part of the world into three groups. The lust of the flesh, or immediate pleasure. The lust of the eyes, or pleasures in the future. And the pride of life, looking back on self-achievements. Now, we probe out these truths in verse 1 here. We've got to ask two questions. You see these angels. First of all, why were the angels there? And second of all, why were the angels seen by Jacob? So why were the angels of God there? Jacob was about to go into a great trial in meeting Esau, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob, and the powers of darkness wanted to kill and exterminate Jacob and his family, just as the powers of darkness have wanted to exterminate Jacob's family or the Jewish people down through the ages. And God knew that Jacob needed help against both Esau and the powers of darkness. So God sent the angels of God to protect him, to help him. The angels of God were God's provision to help Jacob because God knew Jacob was in trouble. Jacob was in danger. This is a pattern with God. He knows the unseen forces that are amassing to destroy, and he sends angels as his help. He sends help, as he did, and we see it in the case of Peter in Luke 22, 31. Luke 22, 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. See, like Jacob in verse 1, who was just going on his way in life. He didn't know. He's just walking along. He's just going on his ways. Peter, just going on his way in life. Peter didn't know. He was unaware. He didn't know about any unseen power. And all that time, Satan has been making specific plans to destroy Peter's faith. When all of a sudden, Peter is surprised to hear that he's been the focus of Satan. And, and, and then he's surprised to hear that, don't worry, Peter. The Lord's prayed for you so your faith will not be destroyed. The angels of God were there in verse 1 because they were sent by God. That word sent is critical to understanding angels and what they are. (music) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.